Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy. But you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great. Filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Welcome. Welcome. Saliva and frog puppets. It's the Improbable Research Podcast. I'm Mark Abrams, editor of the magazine Annals of Improbable Research. This is all about research that makes people laugh, then think. If you like what you hear today, consider supporting us at our website, improbable.com. Now, here's psychologist, linguistics estician Jean Burko Gleason and her reaction to a medical paper about saliva and frog puppets. Ugh. There you go. <laughs> All right. What's the title of this report that brought that kind of um, appreciative? Uh, okay. This is a brief from, report. It's yeah. a brief report from Journal called Psychophysiology, uh-huh. and it's from 2008. Yeah. And it is called A Salivary Collection Method for Young Children. That's sort of ambiguous, isn't it? A salivary collection method for young children. You know, it's like it's a way for young children to go out and collect saliva. You know, like it's Halloween and we're collecting saliva. And this is the method. But, but you, that's not. I, 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 I take it you have never run across a child who does that. Well, not at Halloween, but I have read really disgusting stories about salivation in children. So. Yeah, some in which, for instance, in some of the early Russian experiments in which they had kids salivating so much that they had to mop the floors. But I don't want to get into that. that. I'm sorry. Wow. Uh, I, okay, I won't ask. Don't. Okay. All right. What did Laura K. Zimmerman have to say here? Why don't you read the um, most okay, of the, should we the do abstract her abstract there? All right. I don't know if I can stand to do this, but I will try. Yeah. Okay. Now, let's, shall I preface this a little bit as to why you might might want children's saliva? Otherwise, it makes no sense at all. Okay. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons you want to collect children's saliva, if you're that kind of person, is that you want to, as they say, assay it. You want to look at the saliva to see what's in it. And one of the things that people look for is a major stress hormone called cortisol. So that when kids are, they produce a lot of cortisol in the saliva. So that's one of the one of the reasons for having this salivary measure. Okay, is okay. is to, to be able to get a physiological index of how stressed a child is. And and people have found, for instance, that the kids who live in difficult situations, you know, poor kids who who have a hard life have more cortisol in their bodies than kids who are leading a posh life. So it's, it, th- those are interesting things to know. Let's read the abstract, okay? Let's Should we do it? Go to it. Okay. 
Salivary assays are a major physiological measure in studies of child development. Traditional collection techniques have generally involved children chewing on sterile dental cotton rolls. Well, let me stop you there. How do you feel about the idea of children chewing on sterile dental cotton rolls? I'm disgusted, as you know. I have a, a high or a low tolerance in the disgust direction. But anyway, it's, you know, as one way of collecting, but as they point out that you know, if you if you're going to collect saliva by by using cotton, an awful lot's going to go in the cotton. You have to have a lot of saliva. Okay. Mm-hmm. However, research suggests that for an accurate assay, potential contaminants need to be minimized, both from oral stimulants and the collection device. In other words, if you give the kid peppermint or something to make them, mm-hmm. well, then you have peppermint assay. Okay. Moreover, the use of cotton requires that additional saliva be collected to compensate for the amount absorbed by the cotton. So, Just as you said, yeah. Yeah, for these reasons, I adapted the passive drooling collection protocol for use with young children. To this end, wait, wait, wait. were you familiar with that? It sounds like that was a standard procedure, the passive drooling collection protocol. Well, right. So there must be, unfortunately or fortunately for me, uh, this is an area I have never worked in. So I am not familiar with the particular protocol known as passive drooling. But obviously, it indicates that there is some way of collecting saliva that gets the kids to drool and you collect the drool. Okay, so there you go. So she adapted the passive drooling collection protocol for use with young children. To this Mm -hmm. end, a game was created, which involves frog puppets constructed so that a funnel, which serves as the frog's mouth, connects to a cryogenic vial housed in the frog's body. Let's talk about that sentence. To this end, it begins, a game was created. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't do that anymore. Nowadays, you're supposed to say, I created a game, et cetera. And, okay. and all that passive stuff is hard to get through anyway. But, okay, frog but anyway, puppets. Are frog puppets something that psychologists uh, frequently use? There's, you know, there's a lot of frogs in child in child development, I must say. Why you know? is and, that? Well, I don't know. I guess they appeal to kids, you know. And, and there's a very, very uh, popular book called Frog, Where Are You? Heavily used in the linguistic world. So It could be that frogs appeal to professors. But anyway, there, there are a lot of frogs out there. Uh-huh. The Frog Where Are You is by Mercer Mayer. And, and it's, it's a nice story. It's about a little boy who loses his frog or something. Anyway, so this person created uh, frog puppets, mm-hmm. constructed this with a funnel, which serves as the frog's mouth, connects to the, the vial. Yeah, that's some the frog. frog. It's really mouth. disgusting. Anyway, uh, so basically what you've got is, is a, a collection vial, uh, which is a funnel of some sort that is the frog's mouth, which, mm-hmm. as you begin to see, makes mm-hmm. it easy for the kids to get their saliva into the vial, which is hidden inside the frog's body. Okay, mm-hmm. so details on the specifics of this methodology, as well as the effectiveness approach are discussed. Okay, and it's with, it's with preschool kids. Let's, on the next page, page 354. Three, three, three or four, yeah, three or four sentences. Okay, right? but you know what this means. Just well, it means we're right. trying to give people a clear idea. Of what we're going to give people here. a clue, but we could tell them very quickly what they did. Oh, but it's it's isn't it better oh. when they get the original words from the original? I guess, but I think I'm echoing down through time as translated by one of the great psychologists. 
All right. I will read it. Procedure. Go ahead. Three saliva samples were collected from the children using the teaspoon of sugar crystals. Sugar was chosen to eliminate the presence of both malic and citric acids. I imagine they didn't say that to the kid. Do this in order to stimulate saliva flow and make the Are process. Are you sure they didn't? Well, you know, to a preschool, you're not going to say, I'd like, I'd like you to stimulate your saliva flow. Uh, you know, they, they should tell you what they said to the kids, actually, as part of the procedure. Uh-huh. And, and there must have been a standard protocol where they said, you know, here's what I'd like you to do, sweetie pie. Anyway, uh, they were asked to do this and to, in order to stimulate saliva flow and make the process more fun. They were then asked to chew the sugar which they were told was frog food, and to spit this food into the frog's mouth like they were brushing their teeth, like they were brushing, as if they were brushing their teeth. They were also told that dry sugar gives the frog a bellyache, that he could only eat wet sugar. Yeah, I I think that, that pretty much covers the basics here. This really doesn't sound like something you would do. It's not my favorite thing. But anyway, so here you see what the kids did. They got some sugar in their mouth. They got saliva. And then they spit into the, um, or they spat into the frog's mouth. And then they collected the saliva, which they rushed off and put in the freezer because that's what the vials were. They were cryogenic vials. So there you go. Okay. And um, through, they give some more detail, but they end up saying that this method worked out pretty well for them. Yeah, no, basically it worked very well. I don't know if people are still using it, but it, it could be. So that's what they did. And they were measuring their pictures of the hideous frogs. Describe uh, those pictures, could you? Oh, my God. Uh, it's, it's, it shows the frogs used in the collection uh, method, but I don't know why they're such horrible-looking frogs. They're just not, you know, the frog obviously has a funnel for a mouth, but that's- they have you know, those yeah. frogs, look at the, there are five of them here, five photos. The frog on the right does not look happy about having a funnel for a mouth. No, no, that's what I'm saying is that they're really horrible looking frogs. They could have done a better job. I mean, they could have, they could have had better looking frogs. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they appeal to kids. You know, the thing is when you're working with kids, you want to make things that will be appealing to the kids. And these frogs don't look that lovable to me. But anyway, was- they work. They worked and they were able you know, to. As you were saying that, I was just I, I was just starting to imagine what it would have been like if you had been a five-year-old kid and, and somebody asked you to do this. Uh, I would have been out of there. I would have been out of there. You know, uh, I, 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 that's not what I would have done. Yeah. I, wouldn't, I would not spit into the frog's mouth. You know? where, where would you spit? I would not spit. I, that's the, not the kind of five-year-old little girl that I was. Huh. What would you Where do I instead? came from, you didn't spit, you know? I mean, never mind, it's like brushing your teeth. You still wouldn't do it. None of the kids around you where you grew up would ever spit? Oh, I'm sure they did, but I thought they were horrific kids. Oh. You know, by the way, you know, spitting, you know, spitting, there's a long, we, we should do spitting sometime. If you really want to do discuss well, What do you mean we should do spitting sometime? Well, you know, if you're, if there are, there are undoubtedly, scientific studies of, of of the history of spittoons, of spitting as a public activity, or cross-cultural differences in spitting, because there are still parts of the world where people spit. And at first, as in the United States now, people don't walk down the street and spit all over the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And I assure you that when I was a kid, people did. 
it was a common activity and yeah. it was it was it was gender it was more gender specific you know men spit or spat and women did not in general yeah. unless they were something well, i i've read and i've been told that there were big campaigns to try to fight against tuberculosis and, uh-huh. and that they're big public health campaigns to try to convince people in the US and probably in other countries to to stop spitting in public because that's yeah, how the I, was one way it was transmitted pretty I, I can believe it. I mean it used to be the first saloons and places like that all had spittoons in them. They all had, you know, easy to collect saliva then because everybody yeah. spat into them and and there was spit everywhere. It was just a very a very common activity. And it's very interesting. There's something that was taken for granted and just, you know, nobody thought about it. Uh, now, if you saw people spitting all over the sidewalk, you would be horrified. There probably is a big literature on spitting. Which well, you're, I, I agree with you. We should look into that. I think so. But these kids didn't know about it. So there you go. Yeah. So is there anything else we want to know about saliva collection in children? Um, not me too much, although we did give an Ig Nobel Prize a couple of years ago to a Japanese doctor who'd done um, some uh, research 25 or more years ago with a bunch of kids, including some of his own kids, to try that. to see how much saliva a typical five-year-old kid produces in a day. And, and it, it was, was a lot. It was a lot, yeah. It was <laughs> and at the Ig Nobel ceremony, you probably remember, he had um, three of those kids, three of his sons, who are now um, well into adulthood, come up on stage and uh, and sort of uh, reenact yeah, I, some I, of I that. Do, I do remember that. I, yeah. I remember it as one of the more, you know, interestingly disgusting moments in the Ig Nobel. <laughs> <laughs> we try, we try. And you okay. succeed. Well, You're you. very successful. Well, thank you. Uh, do you have uh, any final word you'd like to um, spit out, so to speak, about spitting? No, not really. Uh, you know, the point is, actually, this this is probably a pretty good technique. I don't know what people are doing now, but it seems to have worked very well if you want to collect saliva that is not contaminated and look at it for cortisol levels and such things. This strikes me as being... It first makes you laugh and gag and then think. (laughs) You have been listening, if you've been listening, to a genuine episode of the Improbable Research Podcast. Psychologist, linguistics, estician, Jean Burko Gleason joined us on today's brave plunge into the research literature. I invite you to subscribe to the magazine, The Annals of Improbable Research, six new issues a year. Get yourself some back issues, too. Also, get lots of details about the Ig Nobel Prizes, upcoming events, what's in the magazine, and about how you, you, can help and be part of it via our Patreon. All this, and yes, a lot, 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 lot more, and then some, at our website, improbable.com. It's possible that Seth Glicksman is the improbable production assistant. Next time on this podcast, we are going to look at something or other. Until then. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>